Welcome to the Yellow Jacket Experience. I'm your host, Thomas Poole, Director of Athletic Communications here at AIC. This week, I am joined by head men's lacrosse coach Tim Robbins as we discuss the upcoming season, his coaching career to AIC, as well as his leadership. I will then be talking with head baseball coach Nick Collini. The team will open their season down in Florida this week, and we also discuss the many hats that he wears at AIC. I'm here with head lacrosse coach Tim Robbins. Uh, thank you for joining me today, coach. Thanks for having me. So we know you're starting off this season this week. Obviously, you're facing Mercy on Tuesday, the day we're recording. We're a couple hours away from game time. Can you talk about facing a top-ranked country or a top-ranked opponent uh, in your first game for the regular season? Uh, well, it goes in all preseason. Basically, we're we're working on um, preparing for Mercy. Um, and being in the NE10, we, we face them a lot, so it's it's good preparation to to try to face an out of conference opponent of that caliber, so we can have try and you know emulate a little bit more of that type of game, that type of level, that speed of the game, and help the freshmen get a little bit more acclimated to the speed of lacrosse, especially when you add into the top 10 of any category and division of in college lacrosse. Um, it's going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, so we think we get in a, able to get that under our feet in the first game or so um, allows us to, to get a little bit more acclimated to what we're supposed to be doing and, and the brand of lacrosse we're supposed to play when it comes to the NE10. So then you have a week off after that point um, when you'll face post on February 18th, another Tuesday. Where are you expecting from that matchup? Oh, well, we have a nice rivalry there. Um, I think we've, the past, yeah, last year they got us. The year before they, that they had, uh, we beat them. And now, uh, now hopefully uh, we continue that type of trend. Mm -hmm. um, but I know, uh, I know coach there pretty well, and he's been there for two years, so we're 50-50. <laughs> um, so we got, you know, it's the rubber match here. Yep. You know, and I think they're, um, they're a team that's up and coming. They're young, um, a little naive probably just like us. Um, and I know they're, a, you know, I think they're a heavy dose of underclassmen. We're about 22 underclassmen and, oh, wow. and three upperclassmen. So we're kind of in the same boat. And I think we're both trying to create an identity for us and try to tap into that top 20 um, for the first time for us ever. But I think it would be the second time for them. Okay. Yeah, we'll come back to the roster here in a minute. But I want to get to Saturday, March 7th. Uh, you guys are taking on Delphi at home, opening home opener for uh, the NE10 schedule. Obviously, we know the NE10 is a loaded conference uh, when it comes to lacrosse, but what's it like having Merrimack, who transitioned to Division One, out? Uh, how's that make the NE10 field look? Um, well, for us, it kind of opens up another door, another spot into the postseason. Mm -hmm. So for the teams that are in the bottom middle half of our, our conference, um, a lot of them are only one or two games out of the playoffs. So mm -hmm. With them leaving, that adds a whole nother aspect and, uh, I mean, a whole nother tiebreaker a little bit down further into our tiers. Yep. Um, but what it does is it just kind of opens it up for maybe some other conferences to, to have a higher strength of schedule. It, it kind of lowers ours a little bit. Mm. Um, but what it does is just makes it more interesting. So it makes the games matter even more um, because before now you had, you had, you know, the top six and everybody was aiming for those guys, you know, and now with them, the five is down i mean where everybody's aiming for that sixth spot everybody wants to be that team um, going into the playoffs so i mean that's what our eyes are on so if you had to circle three games on your schedule this year um that games are big for you in terms of a making sure you're ready for the NA10 season or just games that you think will be huge atmosphere games for you uh what three would those be 
Um, the three, I mean, well, beat Bentley for our school is, is huge for us no matter what, just um, ever since we started that. Mm-hmm. And then Southern New Hampshire being a home game, 7 p.m. at night, I think it's our only home game under the lights. Um, so for us, I think that's that's kind of where we've been trying to grow to, to beat a team like them. So yep. I think that's the next step in our direction. Um, obviously, looking at trying to beat Adelphi is a little bit more, I'd say, less achievable currently than than what you would say going into Southern New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. But obviously we're trying to win them all. But I think because of that, that's one of the dates we would circle. And then um, I would say St. Mike's, just because that's for us going, trying to aim for a nice any 10 win first in a couple years. I think that's the team that was had beat us. They were the, had their one win over us. So mm-hmm. I think for us to try to climb, I know they're trying to keep us down and we're trying to start to climb up that ladder. So it would be you know Bentley, St. Mike's, and uh, Southern New Hampshire. So you mentioned you're a very underclassman heavy roster. What, have there been any struggles with that? I mean, obviously you look to, so you said you had three upperclassmen. I'm looking here, Ken Menard, Matt Quinlan, and Eddie Beattie. I mean, three upperclassmen, they've been here for a couple of years, and you hope that they can facilitate that leadership role. But at the same time, I'm sure that it's a little bit more of a struggle, too, with as many underclassmen as you have to make sure everyone's playing that same style. And you mentioned that culture um, that you're trying to build. Has that been a struggle in terms of that leadership um, or for people who your underclassmen can look up to? Well, I mean, it's it's a tall task for our upperclassmen just because there's only three. Um, but they're they're very high-quality gentlemen. They, they all do extremely well in the classroom. Um, they were voted by the team to be captains. Um, so they've been incredible in shaping our behavior, which shapes our culture. So we have a, just really been focusing on doing things the right way, working hard every day while we're on the field, and really trying to shape this culture into a winning culture and really controlling what we do because that is what controls and, and creates that. Mm-hmm. So with all those underclassmen, though, uh, who are you really looking forward to seeing on the field this year, uh, whether they're coming back from a great freshman year or some newcomers uh, to the program? Well, we did have we had four all rookies last year. Um, they all have returned, um, and and we do expect the the guys on offense to still make some waves to improve on there. And on um, we have some some shared roles. We we tend to talk more offensive guys rather than keep um, an attack or midfield mindset, mm-hmm. um, because we do have about five or six extraordinary attackmen that came in from high school who are underclassmen, and we want them on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is we try to get them the ball. Um, and let them play. I mean, these guys have incredible chemistry. They have great sticks. They're, a lot of them are fast. And, you know, as long as we're c- growing, creating chemistry, teaching them these reads and looks, um, and we kind of let them have the, the confidence to go out and, and shine. And I think that's how the youth plays. I think that's mm-hmm. how lacrosse is growing. And um, not exactly quite the type of players maybe that the, the Lyle Thompson was and stuff like that. But at our D2 level, we think these guys can play all together if they um, you know share their roles, all six of them on the offensive end. I think we can shine. And then our defense is heavily loaded with freshmen mm-hmm. and um, a couple transfers that have come in. And our, in goal, we do have our one of our seniors. Um, but so he's allowed to right now to shape our defense a little bit more with communication, control, and really try to guide the guys with his voice. Yeah, and that's one of the key things about a goalie. Um, I relate to a catcher in baseball softball or their quarterback on the football field. They're the person who's really discussing and trying to help and communicate that or with the teammates the most. Uh, is that what you find is the same, I guess, correlation between those sports and positions? Yes. I mean, well, the defense, I mean, defense wins championships. It's cliche, but it's true. 
And then, um, I mean, clearing. So the goalie is the huge part in controlling the D and, and making sure we're in the right situation. And then they are the quarterback of the clearing game, which mm -hmm. is the first step of offense. So if we're not clearing, um, it's kind of like going three and out in football. Um, so, But we do put a lot of pressure on our goalie to be able to communicate, make some of our calls in the clear, and mm -hmm. help guide these guys. And, and obviously take some transition risks, but, but calculated risks, um, so we can try to play a fast brand of lacrosse. Awesome. Well, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, one of the reasons why I love this podcast is because I get to know each individual who comes on and uh, their history, their story um, of what you're willing to share. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you started uh, your career, I guess, really just getting involved in lacrosse? Well, I got involved um, basically because my family played. So mm. I would I grew up looking at a lacrosse stick in my cousin's bedroom at my grandmother's house and didn't really know what it was. And mm -hmm. then we'd go outside and we'd play and throw against the barn. And sometimes we'd, you know, paint a, a six by six on there. So we'd have something like a, to emulate a lacrosse goal. Yep. Um, but I actually did uh, school of choice to first play when I got into high school. I was one of the first two students ever in mass to do school of choice. Mm -hmm. uh, I did it really purely because the, of the reason of lacrosse. I grew up in East middle school in East Hampton and Northampton had lacrosse East Hampton didn't yep. and so I, I wanted to play lacrosse in college um, because my my cousin who I looked up to was a great lacrosse player and he's still an incredible player but that's really what got me into the game and it was really I would say my grandmother who was a coach when she was younger and her son who was my uncle he played so those are the two people three people that really got me involved to know what lacrosse was so then from there you mentioned you played in high school talk a little bit about your high school career um, I guess playing in college that recruiting process and uh, your time in college I'd say uh, my recruiting process um, would have been a lot different if I knew what I knew now <laughs> um, I probably would have ended up in the same spot but mm -hmm. um, I just I know a lot more um, my my cousin played at Springfield College um, I went there I loved the place I loved Springfield as a whole community and I knew I wanted to kind of stay close to home. So yep. for me, playing at high, in the high school, uh, we we had a great we, – we beat Long Meadow one time, <laughs> the only time in history, so that's my claim to fame there. Um, okay. But um, from there, going to Springfield, being a historically powerhouse program in D3, um, probably about – Coach Bugby always said about 75 to 80% of high school and college coaches either coached at Springfield or went, went to Springfield. Mm. Um, so that was one of the things I wanted to do. I never really thought I'd have such a easy door into college coaching, um, but I would say the network that I created at Springfield and, and the close-knit community that I had there, um, it never ended. The day that I lost in the NCAA tournament in my senior year, um, my assistant coach offered me a coaching job that night. Oh, wow. Um, so that was pretty incredible, and that's kind of – I haven't looked back since. So then you started, I'm guessing, at Springfield College. Um, you mentioned obviously getting that um, job offer right there, and that's always an exciting thing. I'm sure it was a bittersweet moment, obviously, coming off the field. <laughs> uh, there are some uh, some tears, I would imagine, that came up um, after that senior night or that, that final game um, as a player at the collegiate level. So did you go to Springfield or start at Springfield, and then what was your next step? Well, actually, both of us – he. The coach that offered me the job, who he's currently the associate head coach at Penn State, but he oh, was, wow. got the job at, at uh, Wheaton College, who okay. was in our conference, and so he, he brought me along with him. And from there, I actually went to work for one of, well, his assistant was one of the, his, his best friends growing up, was mm -hmm. the Bucknell assistant. And okay. from that network, and 
Coach Nick Myers, who actually went to Springfield and who I knew through the recruiting process. Um, all these great guys ended up going up there and from there got into the D1 game. From there I went to Siena where we, mm -hmm. we had an incredible year, won the MAC championship and went to the Dome, played Syracuse in the, in the Carrier Dome, which was an unbelievable experience. Unbelievable first half for the boys, <laughs> you know, and a humbling second half. Um, and then from there, I, I actually went back to Springfield and, okay. and was working on my master's there and, and, and just being pumped to be back as a chief dog working for Coach Bugby and being back on my, felt like my, my home. And from there, I got a, uh, an offer to be a head coach at St. Rose, who was in the NE10. Yep. And from there, we, you know, we had a winning season upset number eight in the country that year and uh, you know I learned a lot I spent two years there and from there I actually went back to uh, D1 to Rutgers okay and then I've been uh, from that went spent one year there and uh, <laughs> I was you know assistants move around quite a bit yep and then I ended up coming here and and trying to turn this place into a, a, a winning program and I just over the years I've known the people here I knew the coaches prior and just the, the people in campus community here are exceptional, and, and there's something special that goes on here. And ever since I stepped on campus, I mean, I, I feel part of it. And it's, um, I mean, other than Springfield College, you know, it's, it's my other home in Springfield. And right now it's, it's uh, for me, watching and sharing what I learned from my coaching experience, from my time in Springfield, and trying to make these kids emulate that or be, you know, better than me. I think that's yeah. kind of what, what we're trying to do here and really try to emulate what, you know, Springfield College has done, Merrimack has done, you know, Western New England, and a lot of these other programs that are kind of right here in the Northeast that have shined, and that's what we're trying to do. So we know historically AIC lacrosse has been not the best, but at the same time they've entrusted you to come in, build that culture, and to really take that next step. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, your journey from inheriting the program uh, to where it was when you got here to where uh, it currently is? Well, I think, I mean, we've always had a, a, a uh, quite the same small size roster here. Um, mm -hmm. That's the big piece that we're trying to grow um, because I think having the ability to play lacrosse in practice has been possibly one of the biggest hiccups that we have here. Mm -hmm. And because we've always had extraordinary people and and some extraordinary lacrosse players. Um, some of these guys here were, that I've seen and coached here when I first got here who were seniors are some of the best defensemen I think I've ever seen, um, especially at the D2 level. Mm -hmm. And I do think for us, it's just the way we go to work every day, the, what we're trying to do when it comes to how we are growing in the classroom, what we're doing and focusing on our careers, how we approach practice. And I think that's been the big change for us is, is just being a, a team that believes that we can be at the top of the NE10. Mm -hmm. And we've always been a great team. Um, I do think our, our schedule doesn't reflect how, how good we actually are yep. um, because we will play a, out of our 16 games, usually at least half of them are in the top 20. Um, and for, for us, that is... I would say that is a stepping stone. That's a place where we want to be. So, yep. again, those are kind of tall tasks for us. And then we usually have about half of our season where we think those have really been achievable games in the past. Yep. And what we're trying to do is start to chip away at those. And I think for us, it's just when people come here and the recruiting process is really finding the right fit, getting the right kids for certain majors here. Um, we have one of the best health science programs in the country. And I think I try to really get a heavy dose of those type of kids in here mm -hmm. um, because for they, they frankly are very smart and, and they can understand those, those 
they have challenges because of labs and stuff like that, and they have a lot on their plate. But those kids are extraordinarily smart and understand how to think on the fly and can handle that. And so what we do is we really try to focus and sell our, our great, great majors here mm -hmm. and what we do great academically because in reality that's kind of what it's all about. And in turn, what we see is more of the kids, I think, are, are happy here. They stay here. They're working hard. And it's it's getting become becoming a lot cooler to get A's and B's, I think, than C's <laughs> and D's. Yep. And I think that's the big change is when they're going to class, when they're waking up and they're eating healthy. I think all those other things follow. And I think wins start to just kind of show up. Mm -hmm. um, but if, when you're not really taking care of some of those things, and um, I think our, our strength and conditioning program helps a lot. Having having a full time strength coach has been an extraordinary thing for us, and and obviously it helps with the nutrition. And really, I, I mean, obviously our support staff has always been amazing. Our trainers are always there for us. But I think the way we grow every year um, has been helping these kids also feel it, and they feel a little bit more special. They notice the tight knit community, but they're also feeling the support, mm -hmm. and they're 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 believing in themselves. I think that's the biggest thing is they're they're proud of themselves because they're doing well in class and they're showing up and working hard. And I, and I think when, like this fall, we had a lot of success in the field. Uh, we had success in our one scrimmage this spring. And I think that it's getting contagious and the guys are really, really we're nipping at the bit to see what we have when it gets into these actual D2 landscape in our conference. So you mentioned it, uh, and I know one person in, uh, who we both follow and read, John Gordon. Um, Cornell, if I'm not mistaken, but former lacrosse player, um, turned author and motivational speaker. You mentioned the hard hat. Um, one of the books that he put out um, a couple of years ago was hard, was the hard hat about yes. making sure uh, you come in with your hard hat ready to go to work. You grab a lunch pail and you're just all bought in to what you're doing and making sure you're there working hard in everything you do. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, how you use, I guess, some of his material or other materials to help uh, build that culture uh, that you're ultimately hoping to eventually yep. get to? Well, I would say there's one person that really got me involved in it would be Coach Myers, who's the current Lafayette head coach. Mm -hmm. um, just we would do quote of the day and I would always come out with these quotes I thought were exceptional. I'd be like, no, you need something better. You know, I'd be like, what? I thought that was genius, you know, and what I would do is start to read more, start to divulge into things and, and he would taught me how to make them kind of connect, mm -hmm. I thought. And what it did is I noticed more by reading how to grow as a coach because a lot of this stuff was connecting with what I was doing as a leader and trying to teach these kids how to lead. Um, so there's also conventions. We go to, into December in Baltimore, and I always go to guys like Tim Kite or the Gordons, and then Alan Stein was incredible this yep. year. Um, so he he's cracks me up. He's hilarious. and He's a great speaker. Uh, yeah. He was used to be a basketball trainer, and then he made that transition. And uh, I've been following his or his path to success or to his author standpoint for a while, and he has some really fantastic stuff. Yes. I mean, well, we've been focusing on one of his things that I got. Uh, he was very – got us kind of rolling at the convention when he was talking about Steve Nash and how when he was the MVP, he led the NBA in two stat categories. And – one was assists, the other one was high, high fives, fives, you know, and the positive touches. And, I mean, we've, we've been – we showed that to our team, and we've been doing some of that stuff. And, obviously, I still do quote of the day, but I think some of that stuff, the guys, every now and then you get one that connects with them. They love it. Um, but I thought our practice right after that, the guys, I've never seen so many high fives, but it was also, like, the best practice that we've ever had. Yep. And then sometimes it gets cold and the practices start to get down. I think sometimes we start as coaches – we start to see it. We walk around. We high five the guys, and we do stuff like that. 
um, and it starts to actually get contagious. Some of the guys kind of think it's cheese, you know, but <laughs> it, they smile, they get up, and they're like, they understand what's going on. Other guys, it works for them great, and, um, and it makes practice a better, more positive environment, I think, when we're doing that stuff. And I think when you start to, like, look in the mirror and reflect and, and start to focus on more of that type of stuff and how the kids are feeling and playing, um, it, it's, it, that's when wins start to happen more yep. is when you actually take that. And I think that's where I probably as a young coach, all I wanted to do was win. And until I got here, that's kind of all I did was win a lot, right? And yep. so coming in here, it's been humbling, learning. And, and my big focus, I thought, in the first couple of years was trying to win here, right? And now I've kind of really trying to mold these young men, talk to them. Um, some of them might, might feel it a little different because now we're trying to guide them to understand how to win, yep. right, rather than focusing on drilling in home. This is what you have to do. And I think, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a teaching method of guided discovery. Um, and, and letting these guys kind of own it. You know, I think that's where we're headed. But a lot of that stuff, I think, stems from a lot of the coaches that I try to emulate. And again, like guys like John Gordon, Alan Stein. And I, I go back and I read these things. And I know Matt, Matt Johnson has also got me to start reading this book, um, The Messiah Method. Yep. Um, so I've been working on that. And that's something, again, we're going to try to probably a add some aspects into some of the things that we do when we have team meetings or just get the guys brainstorming. I send them about six different links every practice of just either jokes or motivational stuff. And I think if it just, if it connects with one of them once a week, then you know we're, we're making it a little bit better for somebody. And that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah, and you mentioned the high five thing. I've always, I forget <laughs> who it was who I heard it first from, but um, it's always amazing because someone did a study of, of those Steve Nash years and the teams who had that most physical interaction, the high fives or the fist bumps, the yeah, good jobs, those are the teams that are the most successful, uh, which I think is always interesting. And building that culture is definitely something that plays a big part into that. And I think that in order for obviously to give someone a high five or feel comfortable with someone, you have to have that level of intimacy um, and trust within that person. Um, another person who I think might be a good, I don't know uh, if you've uh, met Calf, uh, Josh Metcalf, uh, chop wood, carry water uh, is another really good one um, that I would suggest. So, uh, but as we wrap up here, um, there's one question I ask every single person who comes on uh, the show, and I think it's a good um, opportunity to get to know you uh, for who you are. And that one question is, what moment in life has influenced you the most? Um. I'd say that would be uh, when my first son was born. Mm -hmm. That would probably be the biggest thing because, you know, it's like instantly you have a new label. You are, you are a father. You you now have people relying on you or a person. And mm -hmm. I think that's that was what has been like. The, it's only been recent. He's he's four years old now, mm -hmm. you know, and I've had you know, I got the third on the way and, and I got another two year old. So it's um it's changed my life drastically. In, in only good ways, you know, but it also, I think it helps me take that, again, focus off of trying to instantly win and understand, again, that, that all of these kids are somebody else's kid, too, mm -hmm. and kind of coach the guys the way that you would want people to coach your son, and I think when, once you become a parent, you start to see the world in, in, a, in a big, different way. And it, it kind of opens your eyes and not to say my eyes are open all the most, you know, and, and see everything and, and I'm great. But uh, but I do think it's helped me start to steer the ship in the right direction. And mm -hmm. I think we we only have great things in our future when it comes to AIC lacrosse 
and obviously my family. I think I'm pumped to have both of them. And I think our, what we do is we sell and we market our program as a family for a brotherhood. Um, but we're not here to, to take place of anybody's family. Um, so we do we do try to sell it more as a brotherhood because, I mean, these guys are, are a big surrogate part of my whole family and a connection to, to, to that. So I think being becoming a dad and understanding that I'm kind of a surrogate uncle, surrogate father to some of these guys um, yep. really helps when you c try to kind of really connect with them, understand where they're coming from, and, and kind of see the world and the environment that they're growing up in rather than kind of the old school ways that an old man like me kind of went through <laughs> and some of the things that the world changes and, and just kind of how kids learn these days and the many ways they learn. Yep. And also that's kind of some of the things that I see in my sons is, is they're so different and they're all so great, but they learn so extraordinarily different, and and they're they're all like that. And then when you come to the team here, you know the roster of 25 guys. There's you know 25 different ways that they're learning, you know, and I think yep. it makes it very interesting. And uh, and but it, it helps me be patient, I think, with them um, most of the time. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know we're recording a couple hours before your first game, so we appreciate you carving out some time. Hopefully, uh, when this podcast is released, uh, we'll have a win uh, to start the season. But uh, regardless, good luck today and good luck next week against Post. Thank you, sir. Go Jackets. Our second guest today is head baseball coach Nick Collini. Uh, thank you for joining us, Coach. Thanks for having me, Tom. So you guys are starting off the year a little bit different than you have in years past, uh, at least from a schedule standpoint. You're going down to Barry for a three-game series on Friday and Saturday, with Saturday being a doubleheader. And then you guys will actually be going back down to uh, Florida in the first week of March. Can you talk a little bit about that scheduling decision? Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen in the last number of years uh, – you know, in baseball, teams starting to take two trips. Uh, a lot of teams head down to the South Carolina, North Carolina area. Last year, we, we kind of started that process. We went down to the Pennsylvania area, mm -hmm. uh, played one game, uh, had a couple <laughs> snowed out. Um, so, you know, this year we had the opportunity uh, from Barry to, to go down for a, a three-game set and start there. Uh, so we're hoping it will be a little bit warmer than being in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, you know, I think it, it's part – you know, due to some of the alumni support that we have. So, uh, you know, we were able to get some donations that have, you know, allowed us to make this possible. Um, and without that, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, we would have been able to do that. So, you know, a lot of the alumni engaging that we've done over the last, you know, couple of years of, of really trying to, you know, get out to people more and, and have more meaningful um, conversations and interactions, um, you know, I think is, is starting to pay off and, you know, really trying to get everybody to feel like they are included as part of the program. Uh, so, you know, we're able to take advantage of this and, um, you know, go down there for this three-game set. We're really excited for it. It's it's certainly changed things. Uh, you know, typically we, we'd have seven weeks to prepare for the season, um, and this year we had about four weeks. So, you know, it's a much tighter window and, and causes you to, to think about things a little bit differently as you're preparing. So then you guys follow that up with another trip down to Florida. Um, 
12 ga or 10 games, 12 games, um, but you guys are down there for a couple, um, for a decent amount of time. Can you talk a little bit about that annual Florida trip uh, in terms of what that does, not only for allowing you guys to play games earlier in the season, but also from a um, competitive standpoint of you're building that team culture, you're getting that team bonding uh, on and off the field? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's again, it's one of those times that you look forward to. You're, you know, you don't have schoolwork. Typically, you don't have schoolwork to worry about. Um, you know, you're down there in the sun and nice weather, and you know, we get to play a bunch of games. So, you know, I think what people don't realize about that trip is that it's a grind. You know, mm -hmm. you mentioned it. I think we're we're playing ten games in eight days down there. Um, you know, I, we don't have any days off in that course because they fall on the opposite ends of the trip. Uh, so it, it's a grind. Um, it, it's a fun grind, but it, it is a grind down there. And, you know, you're going down and, and each year you have different objectives, um, mm -hmm. you know, of what you're trying to figure out with your team or what you're trying to build with your team. And, you know, with winning being the ultimate goal, but within that, you know, you're trying to figure out who's going to play for you. Um, you know, there's certainly more opportunities down there because you're playing so many games and you, you know you have to to rotate some things around and give guys days off um, a little bit differently than we do up north so you know you're trying to you know take seven weeks of preseason and you know the whole beginning of the season and all that information that you gathered you know when in practices and workouts and um, and kind of put it all together on the field. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this year, again, we've been kind of lucky that the weather's been pretty good and we've been able to get out onto Abdel Field and on that turf and uh, even do some live stuff out there. So, you know, I think we've, you know, we've prepared a little bit differently because of that, um, you know, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to build that team culture. It's a great opportunity, again, that you spend a lot of time with the guys down there and it's it's a good chance to kind of relax with them and, and not be in the practice setting and um, you know try to get to know them a little more personally at that point. So you mentioned it uh, with the practice obviously up here it can be a little bit more difficult between snow uh, temperatures some rain um, where are you expecting that transition to be like in terms of going from either practicing on the turf uh, which is a, obviously a much different playing type uh, than your traditional baseball field or practicing in the gym um, to actually go into a what I would imagine is a pretty nice complex down at Barry. Yeah I mean they, they have a nice facility and, and they've been great to us over the years we've really developed a, a really nice relationship where we play them and then they also allow us to use their field for some of our regional games mm -hmm. um, and then you know it's morphed to this this is the second time I think we'll be playing them in a three game series. So um, it, it's different, you know, they're, you know, even if you were just to go our grass and our field to theirs, it, it's completely different. They're real hard, the ball bounces in, in different ways. It explodes a little bit more than, you know, it does up here where it kind of settles a little bit. Um, so, you know, it, it takes a little bit of, of getting used to, but, you know, you try to prepare the guys for that. And, um, you know, our, our, our batting practices beforehand, we'll try to make sure that we get some extra you know, reps and, and let them see a little bit more. And, you know, they have to go back to, you know, just realizing that it's, you know, it's a dirt field. They've played on dirt fields before. So, um, you know, and many of the guys have played on that field before. So it's mm -hmm. not completely new. And, you know, you've got to, you know, reach back to those things and, and remember, you know, what was the ball like coming off the bat and off the dirt there? You know, if it hit right in front of the plate, what was it going to do compared to hitting on the grass? Um, you know, and, and same thing wind-wise and, you know, ball traveling-wise and, and all those pieces. So, um, 
but you know it's kind of like Hoosiers where you know he brings them to the gym and tells them that the, the you know the hoops the same height the courts the same width it's the same thing here you know we're yep. going down and, and playing baseball which these guys have been doing for a while so um, you know I think you just try to instill the confidence in them that you know hey we're ready for this then you guys head right back up um, and on March 20th you open the NE10 season with Adelphi um, obviously a, a big opponent um, but at the same time a big rule change in the NE10 this year with moving from a wood bat to an aluminum bat um, composite whatever you want to say um, but can you talk a little bit about what you're expecting in that first NE10 series and then at the same time the difference that you're expecting to see from not only your team but for other teams in the conference uh, making that switch and and bat material yeah I mean I think it's it's not just the bat material you know we're going from three game sets to four game sets um, so all of our our, con our divisional conference games are on the weekend we no longer have those crossovers um, and midweek divisional games so I think that's a big difference um, and then it's also innings, you know, innings played is changing, and then the medal. So, you know, I think there's a lot of different things to handle. You know, all of a sudden we got to take into account, you know, seven inning games and, uh, you know, how we're going to pitch those, who's going to throw the nine innings versus who's going to throw the seven innings. Um, you know, the medal is certainly going to change it. You know, I think everybody expects the offensive output to go up. Um, you know, I think it's certainly going to help our offensive players especially when it comes to the, you know, the end of the year stats and the all-conference, um, or I should say really more the all-region, where, you know, you're comparing, you know, all our, our, our games or half our games at least with Wood uh, versus teams that are playing all-metal. And, um, you know, so I think you, you'll see a little bit more of a similarity there. So, um, but I also don't think it, it's going to explode. Uh, you know, it, the bats are a little different than, you know, when we went to Wood, which is when in the height of, you know, trampoline bats. So. Yep. Um, you know, I think it'll be, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you know, I think we, we did a lot of talking about this. The, the landscape has changed over the conferences over the last couple of years. Um, budgets obviously played a, a part of it. Um, you know, the determination of that your most meaningful games in the regionals and the World Series were played in metal. And did that, was that a detriment to the NE10? And, you know, the, our goal as a conference is to, to be the best and to represent us the best. So we want to give our student athletes that opportunity and, you know, I think at this point when you were just changing back and forth to wood to metal and, you know, we went from three metal bat games two years ago to I think about 20 something last year, mm -hmm. you know, to me, it was just too much to, to keep going back and forth like that. So, um, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, being able to get the rule switched for us and, you know, we'll go all metal and we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. So you mentioned that. Is that with all those changes, is that the most change you've seen in the NA10 from a one year to the next in terms of it all really seemed to following or to fall in that one season off? Yeah, I mean that I can remember. Yeah, I mean we've had some rule changes. We've had, um, you know, conference game changes. You know, we we used to play three game sets during the week that were you know Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that were home away home, and we nope. played. I want to say it was 33 or 36 <laughs> conference games. It was a ton. Yep. Um, and that was before a lot of the missed class stuff came in. You know, that was probably the biggest changes we had were just kind of some scheduling changes and then going to the, the you know, the two divisions. But, you know, these are, are three major, major changes in this one year. So mm -hmm. I, I would definitely think so. So then looking at your roster, uh, you obviously have a lot of talent um, coming back. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you're expecting from your returners and then some also newcomers who might be uh, seeing some playing time this year? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited about this group. Um, you know, I think we're a very talented 
group. Um, you know, we're coming off a, a year where we really had a disappointing, frustrating, uh, upsetting end to last season. Um, and so, you know, I think you have a lot of guys that are hungry and remember mm -hmm. that and remember that feeling after that pace series. Um, you know, we bring our top three starting pitchers back and, you know, anytime you bring your top three pitchers back, you know, I think you got to be pretty excited about things. I think the, the difference with this year's team is, uh, you know, I think we're, uh, we don't have the experience that last year's group had. You know, we had a, an older uh, group of guys that just really brought a lot of experience to the table. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this year I think it's, you know, it's there's a lot of opportunity for guys this year. So, you know, there, there's some, you know, every year you think things are, are locked up. And, you know, what we've come to realize over, you know, the however many years I've been coaching now uh, that, you know, what you think is going to happen and the conversations we have in the office, um, you know, all of that is the stuff that will kind of play out, like we talked yeah. about, you know, with that Florida trip and throughout the course of the season. So, um, but it's exciting. I, I really do think we're very talented. We're very athletic. Um, you know, I think you're going to see an, an aggressive brand of baseball, um, you know, so I, I think it could be a lot of fun to yeah. watch, um, you know, and, and again, we've got a, a good, good group of returning players and, you know, probably seniors at our, our both corner and field positions. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, a group of young guys that I think will, will, will help us. And, and uh, you know, I think a, a big reason is Dalton Quinn coming in as a transfer. Um, you know, he's looking and we'll have him starting at shortstop. And, uh, you know, we slid Cam DeFeo over to second. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that's saying something about it as Cam was, was really good for us last year. So, uh, and I think Cam will, will really uh, excel at, at second base and kind of a little bit more of a natural position for him. Mm -hmm. So then let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, we want to get to know you. Um, obviously, we know you're a head baseball coach. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with baseball, I'm guessing, growing up, um, as that's one of the America's pastimes. <laughs> um, and then, I guess, leading up to you uh, finishing your college degree. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have been around baseball my whole life. So my brother played. Um, so I, w I was that little boy running around the park chasing fall balls. Um, you know, playing in the dirt, uh, doing whatever to, to, you know, try to stay out of trouble. Um, and then, uh, you know, my sister played softball. So, you know, it was just, it was just constant sports, you know, in our mm -hmm. family. So, you know, I just, from a young age, took a love to, to baseball and wanted to play it all the time. And, um, you know, probably played it in the house and places I shouldn't be, be doing things. Didn't break that. anything inside, did I, you? I can't promise that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so and just you know, grew up in the the Westfield um, youth baseball systems mm -hmm. and um, played Babe Ruth, uh, All Stars, all those things. Uh, played high school ball at Westfield High School, uh, which is about 25 minutes from here. And uh, you know, we had some really good teams there. Played with some talented talented players um, that went on to some uh, you know really good careers. And um, you know, took those to Trinity College, where I played four years mm -hmm. of baseball there for Coach Decker, who's who's now the the coach of Harvard and. Um, you know, I think a lot of all of those experiences are, you know, what shaped me as a coach and kind of what I draw to is, is trying to take, you know, different pieces of those, you know, the goods and the bads and learn from those and, you know, really try to implement into, you know, my style as a coach. Mm -hmm. So I know personally, because through our conversations reading up about you, um, you were put in a unique situation when you took over AIC baseball as a head coach. Um, can you talk a little bit about that situation and what has really changed in your tenure here? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I graduated from college uh, with an economics degree um, mm -hmm. and, 
you know, really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I think I probably represent a lot of the college kids that, that are coming out. And um, really the only thing I knew is I wanted to be involved in baseball. So, um, you know, I was I was working at Stanley Park as a, you know, that was my summer job and was just going to kind of stay on there. And, um, you know, our teachers used to come back for their, their convocation. And then, you know, I'd go back and say hello to them. And, uh, you know, that, that year I talked to the principal at the high school and he was like, well, you know, we have a um, – you know, a lady going out on maternity leave, would you be interested in, in teaching high school math? And I said, you know, you can't pay me enough to teach high school math. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we went our way. And, you know, about two weeks later, I think I ended up uh, volunteering over here. You know, I had missed mm -hmm. the part-time up, you know, job uh, by about a week. Um, so they had filled it. And, you know, Coach Elias, I had known I played with his son, Chuck, um, you know, all through high school and Bay State games and whatnot. So, you know, I called him and asked him about it. He said, I filled it. And I said, that's fine. I just... I just want to be involved, you know, I'll volunteer. And, you know, so I jumped into that. And, you know, as you know, and I jump into something, it's full throttle. There's yep. there's really no no in between. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden I was I was leaving Stanley Park early and then my bills came in and loans came in. And I was like, oh, man, I really got to figure something. something out. So, you know, that principal that I told, you know, he couldn't pay me enough. Uh, you know, I reached back out to him and uh, was, you know, able to go in as a, uh, you know, a maternity leave teacher and um mm -hmm. you know that story is kind of funny because i showed up the first day and i was supposed to shadow the teacher for a week <laughs> and uh you know he came out and he's like just want to let you know that uh, she had the baby and you know the class is all yours and um that's a, a quite of a swing real quick yeah i mean you know i didn't have any education background besides you know kind of ran in my family my mom was a teacher mm -hmm. um you know so it was just like here's this class you know teach them math and you know, like anything, they challenge you right away. And, you yep. know, I had a kid come up and he wanted me to sign his progress report so he could golf. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. I'm not signing <laughs> anything. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I was kind of into that. And, you know, I I jumped in full throttle to the coaching and, you know, in a, in a really unfortunate um, situation that next fall, um, you know, Coach Lila's passed away. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was named the, the interim coach and, uh, you know, then subsequently the head coach. So, you know, I really had one year of assistant coaching experience under my belt as a volunteer here and um, then was given, you know, the keys to the program as a, a very naive 23-year-old head coach in the NE10 who, you know, r looking back, really, I had no idea what I was getting myself mm. into. But, you know, I think that also speaks to, you know, AIC. You know, we're a school of opportunity and, you know, that's not an opportunity you're going to get at many places. Um, and they provided me with that. And, you know, I'd like to think that I've, I've done something good to, you know, reward them for that opportunity. So then not only currently are you the head baseball coach, but you also work on the academic side of campus. Um, can you tell those who are listening your title and I guess what all that entails? Yeah, so I'm the, the coordinator of academic coaching uh, mm -hmm. within our Center for Academic Success. So, you know, the center is an area that um, has multiple departments that, uh, you know, focus on, um, you know, student success. And, you know, our advising centers in there, tutoring program, our ACE program, uh, developmental education, writing center. So it's a number of different resources. And in that area was developed, um, I believe, 2010, you know, in, in hopes of kind of a one-stop shopping for students to mm -hmm. eliminate some of the frustration of going to 16 different offices and never really getting to the office that you needed to and, and just kind of putting all those those resources there and um, you know part of that and and Vince our president was a, a big part of getting me here 
full time. So, you know, when I took over as a head coach, I still taught for five more years. And mm -hmm. uh, then they created this role um, to fill to to try to, um, you know, really develop some of those those pieces. And, you know, our our, our um, area really focuses on, um, you know, our at risk population uh, and, uh, you know, really sitting down with them and kind of the idea behind academic coaching is one on one interaction and conversation to determine what that student needs and and there's a whole bunch of different reasons that it could be uh, many of them are non-academic related so you know it could be financial could be emotional could be uh, you know dealing with with different issues that are going on um, there could be you know academic and, and issues you know content issues and then you know we're right there to be able to push them towards the tutoring program yep. um, you know it could be study skills time management um, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, students just get lost and they make bad decisions and, um, you know, don't follow through on things and get in a hole and then, you know, you know, don't know how to get out of that hole. And, and you know, that's part of what we're there to, to kind of help them and, you know, make sure that the decisions they're making are good decisions and, um, you know, and, and kind of understanding all the different pieces in play, the, the leave of absences, the withdrawals, the, you know, what courses are, are better, the, you know, mm -hmm. this is a different solution to that. And, um, kind of presenting them with their options and, you know, helping them find their way to success. And, you know, if we're successful, they go on and are able to make those decisions, you know, on their own moving forward and not needing our support. Well, I think that that's a very big key for any university, but especially for AIC where, um, from my experience, we have a lot of students who are first-generation college students or um, students who uh, might need a little bit more help initially getting some things solidified and getting that structure in place to ultimately make those decisions that sounds like you and the people who work uh, for you do a very good job of making sure um, those people who do come in or finding the people who do need help to make sure they get help yeah I mean you know like I said there's a number of departments you mentioned the first generation group and, and we have a high percentage of our students that uh, and student athletes that are first generation and you know that that ace program that I kind of referred to earlier they do a tremendous job they have a high number of group that's in there um, and they're almost like a mini center within themselves. So mm -hmm. they kind of take all those resources we have. They're their own little group. They have their own first year um, class with them. So they really can develop those relationships. And, um, you know, the biggest thing with the first generation group is that, you know, they don't have anybody that's been through this process. So, yep. you know, y things we take for granted of, you know, filling out a financial aid form or, um, you know, knowing when finals are and not scheduling, you know, a trip back home during those, um, you know, are things that they can help them. They do you know, different scholarship pieces, different banquets, um, you know, so they're, they're kind of a unique little piece. And, um, you know, I think for that first generation group, they can't service all of them. Um, so, you know, there's other people to pick up, uh, you know, for, you know, students that aren't necessarily in that program and mm -hmm. uh, with others. And, you know, I think there's, there's hopes to uh, provide consistency and to start to work with our athletic um, group as well. So our, you know, advisor for student athlete wellness and you know, bridge some of the, the gaps that there are there to, you know, making sure our, that our student athletes are, um, you know, well uh, equipped as well. So awesome. Well, as we wrap up here, as we're getting towards the end of our time, uh, the one question I ask every person who comes on to the podcast, because um, I think it gives us good insight into who you are um, and why and how you are um, at this point is what moment in life has influenced you the most? Um, that's a great question, um, and I, I think I probably have two answers for you. So, you know, I think the the one would just be, you know, 
my children and, and the birth of my children. I mean, I think they put, um, you know, a lot of things into perspective. You know, when I was younger, I, I really carried everything home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bad game, bad practice, go home, bad mood. And, um, you know, I think I quickly realized that, you know, when you get that little little kid running across or that little baby just kind of laying on your chest that, um, you know, there's, there's, you got to have the ability to separate and compartmentalize, mm-hmm. you know, um, everything that happens. And, you know, I think that's kind of the beginning of when I started to look at things as, you know, really teachable moments, you know, and, and really in every bad situation, it's bad, but, you know, I go into it kind of trying to look to, okay, how can I turn this into a good, how can I, how can I make this a positive for the team or, you know, for the group or whoever it may be, Um, you know, so that'd be the the biggest one. And then I think just, you know, there's really never one true defining moment, you know, I think, you know, to, to try to be the best version of yourself, you know, you have to continually day by day look to, you know, learn, grow, um, you know, and it, they may not all be as big as that. Um, but you know, there's really defining moments in everything that happens. And, um, you know, for me where I was that young 23 year old, super naive head coach that just thought he was going to put a little structure in a program and it was going to change and really not knowing everything that needed to be involved from, you know, how much the school has invested and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that, you know, there's, there's been defining moments, along the way and some of them are really small that you don't realize for a while and some of them you know are bigger um you know and i think you you just have to continue to to learn from really everything that happens and you know you just you try to set up a good system to you know really turn out players that are going to be you know happy healthy and successful you know into the real world awesome well thank you so much for uh your time and good luck this weekend as you guys travel down to barry in that three game set and open your season thanks appreciate it tom thanks for having me on And that's a wrap of this week's edition of the Yellow Jacket Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Poole, and this weekend will be a road-heavy swing for the Yellow Jackets. Opening up on Friday, Valentine's Day, uh, the men's and women's track teams will be at the DU Valentine Invitational out at Boston University. Wrestling will be competing in the Trinity College quad match where they will take on Trinity College, Bridgewater State, and Rhode Island College. Baseball will be down at Barry University for a 6 p.m. first pitch down in Miami Shores, Florida. And ice hockey is on the road for a 7.35 puck drop against Canisius. On Saturday the 15th, the men's and women's basketball teams will be headed down to the University of New Haven for 1.30 and 3.30 p.m. tips. Baseball will be having a doubleheader at Barry University at 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. And rounding out the weekend slate is ice hockey at Canisius and a 405 puck drop. That's this week's edition, and we'll see you next week.